yeah, look, um, I'm, I'm very happy that we get the chance to talk again. <laughs> yes, yeah, me too. No, this is, it'll be fun. Looking forward to it. I just need, I do need to let you know, though, that I have a, a hard stop where I have to be done uh, inside of this hour. Okay, okay. So we have maximum an hour. Maximum an hour. Okay, yep. we'll, we'll, we'll try to make the best out of this hour. And just, sure. just to let everyone know, so we, we had the conversation with David already uh, a few weeks ago. And I don't know, I, I, I did something stupid. For some reason, I, the, the recording wasn't working from your side. So you could hear my, my audio. So what I was saying, you could hear right. perfectly fine. But everything you said was lost for some peculiar reason, for some I don't yeah. know, reason I don't understand. And um, sure. usually what I do is record it twice. So I have OBS where I record the screen. And there, right. something was off in the settings, I believe. Um, and so right, then, right. then usually I do a backup uh, recording on Microsoft Teams. So I do that today, mm. and I, I think it should be <laughs> fine. For some reason, I, 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 I for forgot to put it on, like to, to, to turn on the uh, recording on Microsoft Teams last time when we, when we had our chat. So, sure. hey, it's, well, welcome back, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. No, it was a lot of fun last time. I'm sure we'll have fun this time. You were, uh, you had some really good questions, and I'm sure they'll they'll be right there again. Right. So yeah, we'll we'll try to make the best of the hour we have. And um, let me ask you. So I think I didn't really get the chance to ask you more questions about kind of you as a person and what what you do in you know and how you how you ended up in the place you're you're in right now, um, intellectually and socially and, yeah. you know, job wise. And so maybe let's start there and tell us a bit about, well, brief introduction to who you are, and then we can kind of dig deeper. Sure, sure. So I am David Greenwald. I'm uh, obviously from the United States, uh, central United States. If people are familiar with the big city, Chicago, I don't, I live nowhere near there, but I'm about four hours drive south of there. So it's a smaller, a smaller town. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I, for whatever reason, have been interested in fitness since I was a little boy. When I was a, <clears throat> excuse me, a little boy. And, little boy meaning know, what? Uh, like grade school, like oh, I'm wow. 10, 11 years old. Ooh. Okay. When I was 10 or 11 years old, um, I was really interested here in the United States. We have something called the President's Council on Physical Fitness. And uh, I became aware of it. The school let us know about it. And I wanted that President's Council on Physical Fitness award. And I'm, you know, 10, 11 years old. Don't ask me why. I have no idea why, but I did. And I wasn't like a great athlete. I was, you know, if you say A team is your starter, those are your great athletes. Those are your people that are going to, you know, start. And then there's B team and there's C team. Mm. I was a B team, C team kid. Mm. Okay. I wasn't awful, but I wasn't an A team. I wasn't going to be. So I wasn't like a great athlete. But when it came to fitness, I was super interested in it. And I did get that a couple of years. And I remember being so proud. In fact, I have the, we got a little patch, uh, we got a sticker, we got a certificate, you know, and I've still got those tucked away somewhere. That's, mm. you know, uh, 47 years later, you know, mm, so, mm. Um, but, so if we move on, so I'm... Do you, do you I'm, think, uh, do you think, question that pops to mind, do you think um, your parents, your immediate surroundings had an influence on your interest in sport? Did you have like role models that you were surrounded by or was it just a random interest that's really difficult to explain as far as you're concerned? Mostly difficult to explain because mm. um, I really wasn't interested in sport. My mom mm. tried to get me. She was so disappointed 
you know, loved me dearly and was unconditional, but she was so disappointed that I wouldn't play baseball. Oh, wow. Uh, she really wanted me to play baseball. So like traditional sports, I just had like no interest in. And, mm -hmm. but when it came to fitness, this fitness test, what the mm -hmm. heck, you know? So, um, so see. we get to call up my senior year of high school. So the last year of high school. So I'm 18 years old now. And, uh, a person one year older than me who I knew of, he asked me to come train with him in the weight room. He asked me if I wanted to train with him in a group of guys in the weight room. And I was like, heck yeah, this guy had built an incredible physique. I was very interested in that. I found that I was, I admired it. Um, he had a bodybuilder physique, mm. uh, but very fit looking. He wasn't huge, but he had a really, a, just a really great you know, physique. And so I said, yeah. So I started training at, uh, in 1982 mm -hmm. in the weight room. And uh, I haven't taken more than two weeks off in a row in 40 years. So, that's actually insane. Um, so that's really cool. Because when I talk to people, usually what I hear is, well, I've been training for like several year years now in a row, but I've been doing like on and off, one month on, one month off. And I don't know why I'm not making progress. And I'm like, yeah. well, y you've told me yeah. why, because you're not being consistent. Right, right. That, that month off. And so... I just, it, it just, I just fell in love with it. So I did bodybuilding and powerlifting in my twenties and thirties mm -hmm. competitively. Um, so I, and I was a police officer then. So I was a police officer mm -hmm. raising Now I'm raising a small family. I'm, I'm married. I'm in my twenties and thirties and I'm competing in bodybuilding and powerlifting. So to get down for bodybuilding, I would get down to maybe 5% body fat. And then for powerlifting, I'm, oh, I'm, wow. I, I just have to give you the American inches. I'm five feet, 10 inches tall. So you have to do the, the conversion there. But um, and at five ten, I would get down for competing um, to around one hundred and seventy five pounds, okay. and then mm -hmm. for powerlifting, I got as heavy as two hundred and thirty five pounds. Oh wow! And so, um, so I, so, so I, I, I enjoyed that. It was great. So what happened was, I became what we call an Illinois State Trooper. So you know, we have fifty states in the United States. Mm -hmm. I was a state trooper, so I was a police officer that had jurisdiction over the entire state. Obviously, we all have a certain area, but. Hmm. Um, I got out of the academy and I was using supplements, protein powders, various things. And right. I thought, you know, just, I'd like to just have a business, a little business, a little mail order business where there was no internet. This is 1992. There's oh yeah. No internet. Oh yeah. And I thought if I could just make enough money to pay for my own protein powder, I'd be happy. <laughs> you know, just, just a little side, you know, we didn't call them side hustles back then, but that's basically what it was. So I'm working 40 hours a week as a police officer and I've got this little thing. It was in a tiny little room in my house. And what I did is I placed, I placed uh, little ads, classified ads in the back of bodybuilding magazines, Flex Magazine, Iron Man, Muscle Mag, Muscle and Fitness. And it would say, for the, you know, like, for the best prices and the da-da-da-da-da, call. And it was a toll-free oh, yeah. number. So, so people could call. And I couldn't answer the phone. It had, they had to leave it on an answering machine mm. <laughs> because there was no cell phone. There was no cell phones. There was, and I couldn't even answer the phone because I was a police officer. Oh, yeah. I couldn't, you know. So they'd leave a message. And anyway, that business over a period of five years, kind of bringing us up to 1997, has surprised me. So I'm a police officer. And that business built or grew into about $5 million in revenue and 45 employees. So David, uh, so, one question before we go on. Why exactly were you compelled to start something be, be beyond, go beyond your, the confines of this job? Because I presume, yeah. tell me if I'm wrong, that pol being a police officer is very... Well, it felt right for you, maybe, I presume. Tell me if that's right, because it's, it's a lot of physical work involved, and you, you kind of, yeah. I don't know, would you describe yourself as an orderly person? 
Yes, yes, I would definitely. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm not saying I'm an oddity. I think there's, there's probably you know millions, hundreds of millions of people like me. But oh yeah, it, it's like I generally don't like people telling me what to do. But I'm a rule follower. Uh-huh. Like if I know the rule and I know what I, I know what the rules are, I'm generally going to follow the rules. And I don't mean perfectly. Like I, I don't follow the speed limit to the exact number. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, you're driving a car and that, yeah, that kind of thing. But Generally speaking, if I know the rules, I want to honor. I want to honor the rules, and so yeah. although I still don't like people telling me what to do, so uh, it's a bit of a thing. I but I also don't say, well, I don't like people telling me what to do, so I'm going to break the law. So I, it really did fit me. And also, I had mm-hmm. felt since I was not necessarily the littlest boy, but definitely by the time I was a teenager, I had said I want to be a police officer. Okay, so, also, so you're quite happy with your job then? And then the question that yes. pops to mind is: so why? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a question. Well, it's up to you to answer, obviously. But why? Yeah, sure. Why weren't you per- satisfied enough with what what you were doing? And why? What was this drive about? This drive to do something something more? Absolutely. So for whatever reason, again, don't ask me why. Mm-hmm. Something in my DNA had entrepreneurial in it. Entrepreneur. And so in 1987. So this I so. Um, Remember that 1992 to 1997 is when I started this little uh, supplement thing and yeah. it grew into blah, blah, blah. But prior to that, 1987, so I'm 22 years old, I owned a gym. Mm-hmm. And, and before I was a state trooper, I was a city police officer. Okay, so I was a city police officer and owned a gym in the city where I was a police officer. So for whatever reason, I've had this entrepreneurial business head. Although in growing up, I grew up what we call very blue collar My dad uh, was an electrician yeah. by profession, and my mom was mo- most of the time a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. She was a stay-at-home mom, and my dad was an electrician. So I had nobody around me that was in business. I had nobody around me that I saw and modeled. Just, again, for whatever reason, why fitness, why business, I don't know. So as a police officer, I was mm-hmm. like, well, I, I had done uh, the gym. I sold the gym when I got on the state police. Really liked the state police. Great career. I thought I would stay there forever. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing bad to say about it at all. And in fact, I did stay a police officer all through those growing years where this business is doing millions of dollars in revenue. I still didn't cut the cord um, and just go straight business because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, the state police is such a good job. It's going to give me a pension at the end and all this. But anyway, I finally did. So what happened was, so mm-hmm. how did I get into doing what I'm doing now? Mm-hmm. So 1997-ish, um, emails coming. Emails here. It's amazing, Mac. Oh, you know, yeah. It's amazing. We have email. It's you new know? thing, so eh? There's, there's two-way communication. Mm. So with that being said, people knew that I'd done bodybuilding, powerlifting. They also knew that I uh, constantly had my nose buried in research and I would write about supplement uh, research. I would write about nutrition research, exercise research. And I was kind of a, I was one of these guys where I would, I was the set the record straight guy. When yeah. supplement companies would say, our supplements will do this. I was like, but do they? Mm-hmm. And I was that guy. And I've always been that guy where I'm like, I want to, I want to write the wrong I want to be the champion for the voice of integrity and truth. Mm-hmm. And so even though I was selling supplements, I was like, listen, here's the truth on this. In fact, I would send supplements off to be tested to see if they really contained what they were supposed to contain. And then I would write about that. So people felt they could trust me. And I had thousands of customers. So people started emailing me and they say, hey, Dave, real quick, if it wouldn't be too much of a bother, I don't want to bother you, take up too much of your time. But if you could just tell me real quick how I can lose 30 pounds and keep it off forever. Well, that's, you know, you can just throw it on, on a bumper sticker and try to answer that question. Right. It's a very you know, bold question. And I tried, yeah. Well, it's also it's, a ridiculous it's, question, right? Because it presumes that there is a short, a quick fix, something, and there, there's, that, there, that, that you 
are not supposed to put in a lot of work to achieve that. That's what the question uh, presumes, but we both know that this yeah. is not how it works. Right. And you know, the thing is, though, it's a great point you make. The thing is, is that that's often still the case today. Mm -hmm. And I don't, they don't mean to do it intentionally. They don't mean to <clears throat> minimize what's involved. They don't realize what's involved to really win this. Yeah. And because everybody eats, because everybody moves, and because everybody's heard, eat less, exercise more, they kind of go, yeah, I know. And, and people will come to me and they'll say, I know what to do. I just need to do it. When they say, I know what to do, I just need to do it. What they're saying is, I know I need, need to eat better and or less. I know I need to move more and or better. Uh, just tell me what to do on those areas and I'll be good. I'll be on my way. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's not enough. If that message was enough, we wouldn't have the obesity issue we have today. So I started answering these emails. I knew I was doing them a disservice by the, my answers being too short and incomplete. Mm -hmm. So I, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a book. Mm -hmm. It was 500 pages and I covered deeply nutrition, exercise, and emotional fitness, this huge leg that virtually no one at that time was talking about in relation to transformation. And I published the book. I created an online coaching environment by 1999, um, back when there was no fast internet and you got disconnected you know, every 10 seconds mm -hmm. because of the dial-up uh, connection. Um, but I built a website then and I've been, I created this online community and environment where we could set goals and have conversations around nutrition and exercise and, and, and weight management and motivation and accountability. Mm -hmm. And I started that in 1999 and I've been coaching people virtually since 1999. Wow. So man, that's, that's quite a journey. Oh, and then I finally did. I finally, Oh, i sold the supplement company. Um, okay. I, I sold the supplement company and I left the state police in 19 at the end of 1997. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, so quick comment on the um uh this the, your supplement company that you um, were having back then. So I think what what I have well I've been I've been talking to a couple other people that have had a business and um one thing well it's, it's not a surprise that that's the case but I think that I have one thing that I've realized is basically that to be successful and not only financially because I don't really know why people think that a successful business is to only to be um, the success of a business only to be evaluated by its financial revenues. I think I think it's way more uh, way more plausible to connect that with the satisfaction of the users. And so, if you focus on that, well, then the financial thing would, will come all by itself. I believe, and that's what I have observed in uh, the work of works of other people. So, what what typically happens is they watch their clients that watch the other people and see what they're asking for, basically. And then they try to, to um, offer them a product or something that they enjoy and make sure that it's of, it's of high quality and that they focus on their satisfaction instead of um, making the product as attractive as possible. And that's what you did. You, you, um, you were sending your products for testing, making sure that they're of high quality. And so I believe that's what the users appreciate it and that's why you were a trustworthy source of information and also supplements. So t what, what exactly were you selling back then? Uh, we had over 8,000 products we represented. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, we had, we represented hundreds of lines uh, all in, it was over 8,000 products in our catalog. And so there was a tremendous, we were kind of an everything we had, we had everything, mm. but my, my, my customers knew if, if I can, I'll tell you, uh, maybe just a super quick, 
interesting story about that. Oh, absolutely. It, it relates directly to what you're talking about. Absolutely. But my, my customers knew, again, because I just wanted to always be the, that voice that they could trust. Mm -hmm. And the one where they knew, and they knew, listeners don't know what I mean. They knew I would slip my own throat before I would lie to them. And they knew that it, it might hurt me in sales. I'm not going to sell as much of that protein powder or meal replacement powder or pre-workout or whatever it is. I'm not going to sell as much of that because I just had that tested and I, and I found it was garbage. Mm. And I told them, this is, this is not what they say it is. And they're like, okay, Dave, not buying it. Yep. I just hurt my sales. Yeah. But, they, but they knew I would do that. So, <clears throat> so I'm running this supplement company. And at that time, I had set a meeting with a marketing guru here in the United States, who had a reputation, he had helped others, he really had, he was a legitimate, good guy, um, and he was, I had to get on a plane, a uh, three-hour plane ride, and um, I'm going to talk about how to continue to grow the supplement company, right? So we get down there, the night before, this is, this. oh, by the way, this is in 19, oh, around 1997-ish, and this cost me in 1997 $4,000 for eight hours of this man's time, mm. okay? Right. So... I was like, okay, this is a big deal for me. Even you know, we had we had good money then, but I was like, okay, this is still a big deal. Four thousand for a day is a lot of money, mm -hmm. so especially in nineteen ninety seven. Oh yeah. Well, we meet the night before. He's real nice. Hey, you want to go out for dinner? Yes, yeah, sure, let's do it. I, what the heck? I may as well get as much of his time as I can. I'm you know, I'm paying a lot of <laughs> money. I'm going to see him the next day, and he's a good guy. So why not? So we did. It goes out. And he says, and he's just talking to me, and it, you know, obviously without going into everything and making this long, but he says, you've got a lot of testimonials. I bet with your supplement company. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, I do. I said, I've got hundreds of them in, in file cabinet. Remember, no internet. So everything was on paper. You printed it out or you lost it. You know, I mean, it mm. was, um, you know, so, uh, or the internet had just come, but you could print out things. But anyway, oh, I would get snail mail. We call it snail mail. Um, do you guys call it snail mail where you get regular mail? Oh, I, I don't really know what we're telling it over here in Germany, but yeah. go so with snail mail. Just the, the regular mail that comes to your mailbox, the physical, you know, the letters and yeah, the, yeah. You know, various things. We call it snail mail just because it's slower. You know, so, uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, but yeah, anyway, yeah. so, um, I had letters, people would write me letters, Dave, thanks so much. Thanks for the low prices. Thanks for always having the, our back. Thanks for having great protein. Thanks for having great creatine. Thanks for whatever. Oh, yeah, thanks for, cool. thanks for the stuff. Thanks for the quality. Thanks for the service thing. And I would get those and I'd follow those away. And they, and obviously it was, it was very nice, but I really thought about those testimonials and I went, is that who I am? Hmm. Is that what I've got? Is that what? I'm taking care of people. I am. But is this what I've got in me? Is this all I've got in me? Mm. And is this what I want on my tombstone? Do I, do I want it to say on my tombstone, Dave had really low prices and fast shipping? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I just, I just knew in my heart because I was already working with people and trying to answer questions on email and this kind of thing. I was like, I really am passionate about wanting to help people get from someplace heavier and, and less healthy to someplace leaner, someplace leaner and mm. healthier. So I thought about it. I really thought about those testimonials I had. And I was like, I've got more in me I, I need and want to share. I've got more I want to do for people. So the next day I go into his office. It's eight hours. He goes, okay, Dave, here we go. We're ready to rock and roll. We're going we're gonna to get this going on the supplement company. Let's dive in. I said, you know what? We're not going to talk about the supplement company. Because oh, we're not. Wow. I said, no, we're not talking about supplements. We're done with that. Here's what we're going to do. Because I'm here, I want you to help me get the structure in place for how do I can create a transformation coaching company. Yeah. 
And that was it. So I completely shifted at that point. We talked all day about getting kind of what it might look like. You know, how, how would you possibly set it up? How would you, you know, what are you doing? What are you offering? You know, this kind of thing. And I came back and I, you know, I told my wife too, uh, you know, be, uh, before I even left for the plane ride home, I said, I'm writing my book as soon as I start getting back. And um, so that I did. So it took me a year to write the book. Mm. That's when I created the online coaching program. But that shift was so authentic because it was like, this is who I am. This is oh, all these years of being interested in fitness, all these years of being, for whatever reason, I just wanted to be in business and I wanted to be in fitness and I just love fitness. So I was like, even though I was he when I was heavy, I wanted to be heavy. And even when I was lean, I wanted to be lean. And even though I didn't necessarily represent my typical client who struggles a lot to really get down and stay down, you know, where they want to be, I also was someone who didn't get lean easily. I didn't get lean naturally. I didn't get lean because I just stopped eating French fries for five days or whatever. You know, mm. I had to do the principles, the good nutrition principles and activity principles, or I could easily put on fat. Uh -huh. yeah. So um, anyway, I came back, wrote the book, started the program, and again, sold the supplement company because I was like, supplements are fitness, but Leanest Lifestyle University, what I've been doing since then, that's fitness, that's transformation, that's really helping people. Yeah. Change their life, change their whole outlook, change, help them really feel so much better. Right. And, and possibly for decades, you know. And then what happens when they, when they achieve their success? What happens to their kids? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, we may, we may stop generational obesity that that family has had, you know, mm. where it's like every person in their family has always been heavy. And, and right, right. sometimes we can break the chain. And then the kids see it, they model it, you know, because oh, yeah. uh, oh, adults yeah. in, our, in our home, the, whether it's a parent or a, a guardian or whatever it is, parent, parent, uh, kids hear us, but they see us. Mm. And they're always watching. They're always paying attention. So if anybody oh, is absolutely. listening... Like, they're masters in that. And they're, they're also masters. really good at imitating. Although, well, imitating not like in a literal sense, but like right. um, the, imitating the patterns of behavior. And then, and then that's... The, I, I believe that's the reason why... I'll, When why people say well obesity runs in my family because I'm not I'm thinking well what what exactly do you mean by obesity runs in my family do you mean it's only genetic because that's what some people claim like obesity right. is mostly genetic I'm like well look obesity is somewhat genetic but uh, I've heard a presentation right. from a very intelligent uh, researcher and medical doctor Dr Tommy Wood if you're not familiar with him highly advise everyone check him out he's a brilliant guy and his the presentation was called um, um, lies, damned lies, and statistics. I think that was the, <laughs> I think that was the the name yeah. of the talk. And he he actually presented a bunch of claims as to how obese how obesity is uh, influenced by genes and how even slightest modifications in lifestyle behavior just counteract that. Like, like it 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 virtually has no impact once you once you basically take into consideration small changes in lifestyle that you could potentially implement. So the genetic component is real, it is there, but it's small. And I would even argue it's kind of the default, because as we talked last time, I mean, becoming obese and gaining weight easily is a very good thing, evolutionarily speaking. It's exactly what we need. We don't want to be calorie-wasting machines, because that would be a really stupid thing from an evolutionary standpoint, because there just weren't that many calories available back then.
And um, so I, I, um, I forgot where I was going. But anyways. <laughs> no, but no, I, 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 it was about, you know, the impact of genetics, you know, on obesity. Right, right, and, and right. It you. was about breaking this, this, um, this vicious, vicious cycle. I right. believe that's mostly driven by behavior because children observe the behavior of their parents and they just implement it because they, they don't know better. It's what ev it was, it's what their parents have been doing. It's what their grandparents have been doing. So, I mean, they don't know better than them. So they're apparently, they right. allegedly they're wiser. So they're teaching them what to eat and how to move. So I think, yeah, I think, I think this drive that you had, this call for more impact, more impact, that's exactly what compelled you, compelled you to do something else than just being a police officer. And then even the supplement company wasn't enough for you. So you just decided to no. go one step further. But to give, you know, to give the devil its due, I mean, you, you can't just, you can't discover that right away after you're, you know, after you're born, you're like, okay, that's exactly the right. path I want to go. And this is exactly right. what I can do. You have right. to start somewhere and... Yeah. And 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 kind of struggle your way through through these challenges, and then at some point yeah. you'll maybe figure out exactly where you can make most most impact on something like that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely true. I did not know when I was in high school mm -hmm. that I was going to be a transformation coach. Mm -hmm. You know, a health fitness transformation, obesity weight management specialist coach. I didn't know <laughs> that. I had no clue. I thought I'm going to be a I'm going to go to college. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, get a degree. I'm going to, uh, be a, a police officer. Um, and that's it. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, but then there was this like, but what about the gym? You know, so then I owned the gym and then mm. I was like, okay, now I'm helping people there and I'm coaching people and I'm training people and I'm running the gym. So there's business aspects to it, but then kind of went on from there, but back to your, your genetics. So there's kind of that whole nature nurture, right? Yeah. You know, the nature nurture argument. So there is an aspect of both. Right. Um, I agree that genetics are a component, but they're smaller than what a lot of people uh, or that some people will, will let on or that they believe. Um, and it's that you've probably heard the phrase, but it's um, genetics load the oh, gun. Yeah. Right. But the behaviors pull the trigger right. or environment pulls the trigger, however you want to say it. Um, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of truth in that. And um, so it is a factor. And the other thing is that what can happen, too, is when it, quote, runs in families, hmm. it, all, it, it absolutely impacts their belief systems. Hmm. Right. So they don't a lot of times they won't have a belief that they should be anything but hmm. grandma was obese. And grandpa, not trying to be sexist here. Grandma and grandpa was obese. <laughs> Mom and dad were obese. We're obese. That's just what we do. It's just what we are. And mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, whoever, have never spoken in terms of we can control this. We can we can take charge of this. We can win this. It's all been like that's just what it is, you know. So that's when their the identity. kids see that, it's, it's become their it, identity to some degree. You know, it becomes their identity. It's and it's tough. It's tough for them to break out of it, but does it does it really equal that they are destined to be where they are? Absolutely not. Hmm. Like you've said, absolutely not. Anyone, anyone can be any healthy weight they want right. for life. Give or take that five or 10 pounds, say two to four kilos, whatever you want to say, but somewhere in that little fluctuation, which allows for holidays and vacation and just ebbs and flows of life. Oh yeah. Other than that, you can get to any healthy weight you want and live there for your whole life. I don't care what your genetics are. Don't care what your history is. Don't care what the background is. Don't care what the environment is. Don't care what stage of life you're in. Menopause, andropause. 
Don't care if you've got thyroid issues. Don't care if you've got polycystic ovary syndrome. Mm -hmm. Don't care. I mean, I do care. I don't care if you've got diabetes. I don't care what you've got. Right. And I only say that to mean I do care about these people. I do care about these things. <laughs> but with respect to achieving a healthy weight, you can still get there no matter what. What you're basically, what you're, what you're basically saying, and I think that's a very empowering message for people, is, well, it's on you. So you can change it. You can do it. And I think I might have told you that last time we were speaking. It's it's um, maybe it wasn't you. Maybe it was on another podcast. I, I can't quite mm. remember, but I'll tell anyways. It's um, I've heard it. Uh, Jordan Peterson t t tell a story about one of his clients and it goes something like this. So he had or maybe it was someone else's client, but it doesn't matter. Um, sure. So the client was well. Uh, so he's a psychologist for people who, who don't know, but most people are familiar with him. Yes. And so and so um, this uh, client comes in and says, look, I have so many problems and I and I hope I hope it's me. I hope it's me who is the problem, because if it's me, then I can do something about it, because if it's the world that kind of conspired against me, then there is nothing really I can do because it's the world. But if you kind of tell right. people, look, the environment and that's why you say that's what you mean by saying, I don't care about the environment because like, obviously you do care, but it's like right. all, all things being present, there is still things you can change. So even though all these things are, are conspiring against you or playing against you, you have the power to, you know, to counteract that, to do something against that. And when we reflect on our previous conversation, then um, the conclusion we came to was you have to know your why you have to understand why you want to change this behavioral pattern why you want to transform because if someone just comes to you and says help me to lose weight then that's not sufficient even if you t especially if you just tell them even like if they're asking you that's that's better that that one step further because yeah. they understand that, that right. might be a problem but if right. you just tell them look stop smoking do this that alone doesn't help as you as you definitely know from your years of experience right. so yeah you might as well just dig into sure. that a little yeah let's, let's let's so let me just at least mention you oh, might have read sure. this but if not i'm going to give you something because i know that you're you're a you're just a consumer you know of of <laughs> of, of all these things so and your listeners might want to look at it too but you're talking about so have you heard of um uh prochaska's trans theoretical model of change maybe but the name so, doesn't tell me any, anything. So, all right. So there are stages of change. Right. Pre-contemplation, contemplation, mm -hmm. preparation, action, maintenance, relapse. Right. Okay. So again, pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, maintenance, relapse. So if, you know, if you, if I was to go to someone, which I don't do and say, Hey, you know, you probably ought to lose some weight, you know, um, they, they could look at me and be like, and this, let's say this some is obese. They're obese. They're not just a little bit overweight. They're obese. They could look at me and go, why? There's nothing wrong with me. Mm. And I'm not saying there is anything wrong with them. There's not. As a human being, they deserve all of the rights and inalienable rights of respect and love and compassion and all the things that there's everybody's still a, a worthy human being. If you're just somebody just trying to do good by the world, if you're just trying to be a good person, you deserve everything that right. is no one should Absolutely. be able to try to take that away from you. So when I say... Um, you know, that they should or whatever, I, you know, they could come to me with that re reply. That person would, could be in what we call pre-contemplation. Someone in the stage of pre-contemplation is someone who 
they have an issue that really ought to be addressed, but in their mind, they don't see it. Mm. In fact, if someone was to come to them and say, you know, I mean, you're 350 pounds and you're five feet tall, that's probably not healthy to be like, yeah, so that's somebody in pre-contemplation. They're like, wow, they don't even see there is a problem. All right. Mm. Most people are in contemplation. Contemplation is where they recognize it. They're aware of it, but they'd rather read about it, talk about it. Um, they'd rather do anything than take action to solve it. Right. So it's, they're contemplating. So they're contemplators and we call them chronic contemplators because it goes yeah. on and it can go on for years and years and years. And they're aware hmm. and they're aware like, Hey, I'm 300 pounds or whatever. I probably should be 200 pounds. I've got hundred pounds. I probably should lose. Let me read another article. Hmm. Yeah. Let me listen to a podcast. Let me do this if, instead of, you know, taking action. Okay. They're not yeah. ready. Then there's preparation and preparation is where someone will, it's just as an example, they'll take a step in furtherance beyond contemplation. Like someone may say, Hey, I know I need to do something. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to join a gym. Mm. Okay. They just got a gym membership. Let's just say one of the things they did, they just got a gym membership, but they don't go, mm. but they got the membership. They took a step, right? you know, or they went a few times or they go once a week, but it isn't what they thought. It, it, they don't go like they, they quote promised themselves they would, but they're in preparation. They're, they're like, okay, I know I need to be done with this, all this thinking about it. I got to start doing something, but they don't really do it. All right. Then action that's where all the glory is, Max. That's where all right, the glory is. Right. Action, action is where you and I notice it. It's where their friends go, wow, okay, you're down 20 pounds, you're down 30, 40, whatever you are, you, what are you doing? You're doing something here, you know, and, and they, they feel it. They are consistent or reasonably consistent in their behaviors. They are doing things and they, mm -hmm. changes are occurring. This is a very, this is the very noteworthy. This is where when someone's making these changes, we're like, we see it. We recognize it. Well, they are in action when that's happening. Then yeah. if we're talking about weight loss, weight management, eventually, if they get to where they want to be, they get to maintenance. Mm -hmm. And something that needs to be made very clear in this trans theoretical model is for anybody is maintenance is not the absence of action. Maintenance is a less intense oh, yeah. version of the same. That's a crucial thing, by the way. So let's just crucial. recapitulate that because maintenance yeah. doesn't mean zero. It doesn't mean... You know, it doesn't mean non-action. It's a really good point. It's it's as if, yeah. like, if you say, I want to be healthy, it doesn't mean you achieve the state of being healthy. Because in right. order to become healthy, like, healthy sounds like a state, so now I'm healthy. But it doesn't mean yeah. you can now sit down, chill, relax, and eat whatever, burger every single right. day. It means you have to do the work to maintain this state. So it's, it's still yes. a process. It's kind of to counteract the natural forces that are trying to make you unhealthy again. Because that's you might you might say that's the default, right? Because it's easier to right. do nothing. It's easier to just eat whatever you like, what what tastes good, but it's not healthy to you. It's easier not to move. It's easier to I don't know go and drink and have parties every day. So that's you know, what you might say is the default in the sense that it's easier to achieve. It requires less work. But yeah. So and, and what I would say is it's really important that people understand that there's no easy, there's no hard. It's pick your easy oh, or okay, pick your okay. hard. Yeah, good point. Right, right. So it's like it's easy in the short term to just say I'm just going to swing through the fast food restaurant and get it's pick all, up something. Of course, quick. I was just I was just uh, meaning to say it's 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 easier in the short term and because that's easier to observe as well. The, it is. the medium to short term, but medium to yep. long term. Yeah, that's ex so the exact is, opposite. It is. So what you find is it's kind of you kind of think of it um, in 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 a couple of ways. You've got uh, duration and pain. So mm. you kind of you look at 
So if you're, let's just use swinging through the fast food restaurant as an example. Mm -hmm. It's quick and easy. All right. Duration. Short. Doesn't take any time at all. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's great. What's the pain? Um, to, uh, in the short term, there's no pain. Right. You know, it's like, hey, it felt good, tasted good. All right. So, uh, but in the long term, very painful because it continues to promote maybe an unhealthy state, an obese yes. state, whatever it may be. So you've got this duration. Now, now let's say that you don't go through. Let's say you make the choice. You say, no, I already have my lunch with me in the car. And I'm going to work. I'm going to stick with that and or whatever. And instead of swinging through. And in that moment, the pain is kind of hot. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Because you're like, oh, I feel like I'm giving up. Okay, giving up something I'm not, I'm not able to enjoy. Okay. So there's some pain in the short term. But in the long term, it's so much better, so much happier, so much more fulfillment, so much more life satisfaction right. and joy and all of the things that you get and all the things you get to give others because your mental state is better. I mean, it just goes, you go, we say it, it's a football saying, but we say go long, yeah. go long, like in your thinking, go long as much as you can. Like yeah. think down the line, what am I doing with this decision I'm doing right here? Yes, it's easy right now. It's easy right now to go ahead and consume this or skip the workout. But if we go long and we really think about that, um, it's a totally different uh, equation. And you had said before, you had mentioned before in our, in our previous conversation mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, I mentioned the incredible importance of having your why. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's because so many people think that they don't have willpower. But for anything, as you and I discussed before, but I'll get it on record here. Mm -hmm. For anything anyone's accomplished that was big or takes a long time or is difficult or is ongoing, um, that has you needing to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done, whether you feel like it or not. Yes. That to me is willpower doing what needs to be done when it needs to be done, whether you feel like it or not. And so, um, whatever and what that needs be, to be done implies before, that there a lot is of people a who work for someone else. When was the last time you were late or just skipped going to work? Right. So if you go to work on time, if you continue to go to work each day, I know you're not going to work each day because you're always in a good mood. You always mm -hmm. got great sleep. Uh, you didn't get bad news about finances. Um, you didn't just get into an argument with your spouse or your, your significant other. Um, all of these things happened. You just, you just cried for 15 minutes, but you still went to work and you still went to work on time. Why? Because your why is so strong for having that job, for having that career, for what it gives you in all kinds of ways, whether it's money and satisfaction and all the things that it gives you, that you're willing to do it no matter what. And the same thing can be like if you have to pick up kids at school, if, you're, if your child needs to be picked up at school and they're at soccer practice or whatever they're, they're doing, um, they need to be picked up. What, did you just blow it off? Are they still at school? You just forgot them? It was yesterday? You know? <laughs> of course not. You picked them up. But you picked them up even though you were sad, tired, yeah. upset. And you did it no matter what because your wife for you can't imagine how devastating it would be to your child and what that would do to the whole you know, right. environment of raising your child to just... Like, abandon them and not yeah. do it. You can pick anything. You are in med school. Yep. Do what needs to be done when it needs to yep. be done, whether you feel like it or not. It's and it ties so beautifully to, to what anybody who achieves that incredibly hard thing. Sorry, it, it seems it's, like we have because your why is, is strong enough to keep you doing it. <laughs> I think there was a I think there was a lag and I didn't want to step over you. Okay, okay. So okay, quick comment now. Um, it ties beautifully into what we've been uh, discussing uh, a minute ago. So um, we've been talking about this idea of what makes your life, 
what feels easy in the, in, the, in the moment right now makes it more difficult in the future, in the long term. And what feels very challenging in the moment, on the, in the long run, makes your life more comfortable, let's say, more fulfilling. And this ties beautifully into the idea of your why. And I think you mentioned job and having a job and or caring for your family, oftentimes it's a sacrifice. It doesn't feel particularly enjoyable or like super comfortable and easy right. in the moment. But you know you have to do right. it because you prevent uh, the collapse of your life in the, in the future. It's, the example with the child is actually another good example because if you stop caring for your child, maybe it feels easier in the moment you, because you don't feel like it or because you, I don't know, you right. feel stressed. Well, then your relationship is over with your child. That's not a good idea. And then same goes with your job because if you don't bother going to work, well, then, well, then, well, good luck surviving without any money, let's say. Right. right. And same goes exactly. for med school. So that's, that's the same idea. So ha yeah. you're knowing your why and sacrificing the present the what um, hedonistic present for the future that's basically yeah. the same the same thing because we kind of we almost like running away from um, a terrible future a terrible potential future that might manifest itself if we don't know our why and so that's why i think it's yes. so powerful and and the thing is too is that you you and i talked at the very early part of uh, our conversation mm. today about and I mentioned how people will minimize what they think it's going to take, mm. you know, to get from someplace heavier, less healthy to someplace leaner and healthier. You know, that's why I said those those questions early on when email first came were like, um, hey, Dave, real quick. don't want to bother you. I don't want to take too much of your time. Can you tell me how to lose 30 pounds and keep it off forever? There's still a mindset that's very similar to that. And again, when people come to me and they say, I know what to do, I just need to do it. Mm. What they're referring to is the nutrition and exercise components. Again, like I said, you know, I know I need to eat a little less and better, need to move a little more and better. Uh, that's it. And we're, you and I are now talking about a third pillar. There's six pillars, six. Mm. Um, people are aware of two, nutrition and exercise. Yeah. That's what they're aware of. They, they're not aware of why. Mm -hmm. They're not aware that they have demonstrated they have incredible willpower. They've demonstrated that a number of times in their life. Every single person listening to this has or will accomplish something big, whatever that may be, or something that requires ongoing tenacity. Exactly. And that tenacity is willpower, that ability to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done, whether you feel like it or not. And so whatever it may be, every single person has demonstrated they can do it if their why is driving. Why power drives willpower. So that's the third pillar. So that's when good people one. say, I know what to do, I just need to do it, they really don't know what to do, so they really can't just do it. And I want to say this too. I don't blame people, especially in the United States, for having the mindset that they should just eat less and exercise more, calories in, calories out, all things in moderation, and that's it. Because the messaging overall from top government officials, from our highest level Ivy League educational institutions, from the greatest true influencers that could actually move the needle, our American Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, which certifies all our registered dietitians here in the United States, they all provide this messaging that doesn't work, and, I, and I'll get it on record here. In the Only United in theory. States, we're 43% obese. We were 15% obese in 1970, and we're going to be 50% obese by 2030. Hmm. Their messaging has failed. So I don't blame anybody, and I realize every country is different. Your messaging could be different. I'll just speak for the United well, States. Yeah. Hmm. Our messaging hasn't worked. The messaging of eat less, exercise more, all things in moderation, calories in, calories out, 
blah, blah, blah. That hasn't worked. We are where we are. 43% is worse than 15%. And we're on yeah. a trajectory to be even worse in just seven or eight years. So um, with that being the case, people are unaware, Max, and they're unaware of what it really takes. And so what we do is we want to make sure people are informed. They're aware. They've got both a combination of evidence-based information on nutrition, exercise, and all of these other components, these other pillars. I'll be happy to you know, share with you. But mm. not only that they have that, but that they've got this, our decades of experience-based as well. Because I, I, I look at it as a transformation is a science and art combination. Hmm. And what I mean is that the research doesn't, at the individual level, fully give us an answer for every single unique person that, sta that sits in front of me. Because here's the thing. We all have very similar anatomical structures. Sure. We all have very similar physiology, but we're not the same. And the same is true when someone's sitting across from me and they're just beginning their transformation with me. They are a human being. So they've got the anatomical, they've got the physiology. And thankfully, because of what you're going to be doing in medicine, <laughs> thankfully, medicine can, can work with people because there are similarities in here and there. But as, oh, you know, yeah. as a physician, right? But as a physician, you're going to be like, huh. If I prescribe, I'm going to try to prescribe this, or I'm going to try to suggest this or whatever. And that worked for these five patients, but it didn't mm -hmm. work for this one. So I'm going to have to adjust because even though they have similar anato anatomy and physiology, there is a difference and I'm going to have to tweak what yeah, exactly. done. Exactly. And that's a crucial point. That's world. a crucial point. And, and medicine is mo moving incrementally towards an individualistic approach that we, we learn physiology in a prototypical manner so that basically we have this prototype human and that we basically all similar and kind of that's true like we're similar enough it's like we share right 99 whatever point something percent of our dna but that's not all right because we you have an right. epigenetic component and you have a bunch of other things sure. that are different and neuroplasticity right. is not only regulated by genes, but like your nervous system, how it functions, right. is mostly regulated, regulated, well, not mostly, but to a large degree regulated by your experiences and your environment, for example. And um, so, yeah, so I think, I, I think that's an important point to stress, that you have to understand the person in front of you. And that's why, yeah. that's why dietitians, um, exercise experts, doctors, have to be well aware of two things first of all that they they have an individual sitting in front of them and not a prototypical and like human being that right. that's similar to the one in the an, anatomy book and the second thing they have to right. understand they have to be psychologists they have to know how to talk to them and how to make yeah. sure they understand why they have to do what they have to do because going right. back to what you said about the um nutritional messaging and the advice that we have been giving. I wouldn't say it's true that the advice itself is wrong because like obviously if you implement it, then it works. So if you can eat less and move more, you lose weight. It's, it's like yeah, that, that, that works. That's true. The, the problem is people can't implement yep. it. So the question is, the, the, the right way of saying is, is, is more like uh, it, the advice has failed to make people implement the right steps to achieve better health and that requires the knowledge of the understanding of um your why and your motivations and and that's i think exactly what we've been talking about today and um i feel like this is what you do with your clients so um yes. right and so 
Absolutely right. I totally agree. It's been a failure uh, for uh, of the messaging to translate into implementation consistently. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons is, again, no one talks about you know, what really drives intrinsic motivation, mm-hmm. you know, willpower, intrinsic motivation, intrinsically motivated. And so you say why power drives willpower. Okay, that's the third pillar. So nutrition exercise, let's say we get somebody squared away for real on the evidence-based and art-based combination of nutrition and exercise, what's going to work for them. Let's come at it from an evidence-based perspective. Now we really got it. Okay. And let's say they've really got it and they can re- regurgitate it back to me, the basics of just good fundamental nutrition based on uh, where we are in 2023 and on. All right. We, we're addressing why power. One of the reasons, so why aren't people implementing? Why if it's so damn easy, less exercise, more calories in, calories out, why aren't people doing it? One of the reasons is because, again, they minimize it in their mind. Everybody eats, everybody moves, so they, it really does kind of, and it's and, and it's oversimplified in so many ways, and people have just said, yeah, I know what to do, I just need to do it, eat less, exercise more. And that's where it stops. They aren't aware of why power, willpower, co- mm. uh, connection, a huge thing, fourth pillar, a huge thing mm. that people don't consider, which is a huge reason, Maximum, why people don't implement is they have no concept of ultra processed food addiction and compulsive Mm. eating. Yeah. They have no concept of that. They have no idea that ultra processed foods can be for a large section of the population, highly addictive. Mm. And so when we're dealing with an addiction, logic goes out the window. That's yeah. Okay. And so it's like, you can tell someone, you know, I I'm, I'm smoking crack I'm a heroin user. Well, just stop. Good right. luck with that. Good luck because <laughs> relapse is huge on, on, the har- on the harder drugs. And when you're looking at uh, the opioid addiction we've got in the United States, it's, re- it's so unbelievably mm. um, tragic and it's huge. Well, just, I don't know, just get off those painkillers. There, you're solved. I, saw, I solved it for you. Just stop it. <laughs> yeah, well, logic doesn't solve logic alone. We need it. We need rational. We need front braid. We need the frontal lobe. We need executive function. We do. Mm. But that alone isn't going to solve addiction. And it's the same thing for ultra-processed food addiction. So we have to look at someone, too, and see, do they have a substance abuse issue with ultra-processed food or Mm. certain ultra-processed foods? Maybe it's only at certain times of day or in certain situations or certain locations. And maybe it's only after a certain trigger emotional event. We have to look at that person and say, okay, what's going on here? You know, um, let, let's evaluate this. Because the thing is, if someone is addicted to certain ultra-processed foods, they're not addicted to all ultra-processed foods. Right. You know, there, there's going to be 6, 8, 10, 12 certain ones. And it's probably going to be – because what happens is if someone falls down from, uh, with ultra-processed food addiction by picking up, meaning using the drug, if that happens, they typically fall down in the same way with the same ultra-processed food, give or take, same time of day, same situation. It's a very repetitive thing. Yeah. So we may have to develop or help them develop what we call a personal abstinence plan. Yeah. And I yeah. want to be really careful when I say that because if your listeners go, oh, my God, this guy out of the U.S. is telling everybody that they can't ever have anything that tastes good ever again. <laughs> you know, right, right. He wants everybody to just abstain. It's now chicken breast and broccoli here on out you know, for the rest of your life. And that's not what I'm saying. Yep. What I'm saying is that for the individual, there may be a certain time, certain place, certain location, certain event that we need to be aware of where 
and this is where moderation drives me nuts. Hmm. Our American Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, which is sponsored by big food in the United States yeah, and sure. is invested in big food in the United States and is influenced by big food in the United States, to always keep pushing the message of moderation in all things. Nothing's yeah. bad. Nothing's off limits. Don't ever. And, and by all means, my God, Maxim, don't ever say no to anything because that's just going to make you want to crave it more and all this crap messaging that doesn't that's work, true. especially for the person who's got an ultra processed food addiction or mm. triggered eating you know, situation. Here's the deal. Mm. For certain people in certain situations, and they aren't aware of this, pillar number four, dealing with compulsive eating, sometimes zero is better than one. Mm. Sometimes none is the answer. Yeah. Zero. And here's what I say. It's not, my, it's not my quote, but nobody knows who really came up with it first, so I'm just going to say it. Moderation in all things, including moderation. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, I, I remember. Said in the last you mentioned that last time. Sometimes zero is better than one. And so we, we may need to, for that individual sitting in front of us, okay, so for that individual sitting in front of me, I may need, we may need to address it. Because here's the thing. Let's say they've got the nutrition and exercise squared away. Thumbs up. Got it. Let's say their why for them, not by my judgment. It doesn't matter if it lights me up. It matters if it emotionally lights them up and drives them, whatever it may be. And it's very different for each person. Um, but let's say they've got that. They've got three of the pillars. Nice job. If we don't address this potential ultra-processed compul addiction, compulsive overeating, we're screwed. Hmm. If that person is suffering from uh, ultra-processed food addiction or, or triggered eating, substance abuse, with it being ultra-processed food, and we don't look at that, and we don't consider a personal abstinence plan, and we don't consider that for them in certain situations, zero is going to be better than one, we're screwed. You've got the other mm. three in place. You've got maybe the other, the other two uh, pillars that I haven't talked about yet in place. You've got all that in place. Literally, compulsive overeating, if it's unaddressed, can sink the ship. Right, right, exactly. But I that, you, So why, didn't pe why don't people implement? Maxim, we've got so many people in the United States that unbeknownst to them, because the messaging hasn't been out there, except mm -hmm. for these little pockets of, of food addiction experts, you know, it's in research. Go read about it. There are authors that probably do a better job than even the researchers that write about food addiction, and they know it. They live it. They treat patients mm -hmm. that are food addicts, and they've been doing this for decades. There's, there's a lot of good information. Now, the very first book I ever read on it and changed my entire view of coaching mm -hmm. was by a woman named Kay Shepard, and it was in 19... 99 early early mm. and i interviewed her like you're doing me we mm -hmm. didn't call it a podcast i interviewed her and i put i put the recording out on a cassette tape uh -huh. and i mailed i mailed the cassette tape to my members okay right. so i was doing interviews like every month or whatever and i had an expert on and she was an expert on food addiction food addiction yeah in 1999 and i'm like okay let's let's talk about this so mm -hmm. I, it completely changed my entire view of coaching. It completely, it had it make sense that why so many of my clients that were otherwise successful, smart, good, hardworking, diligent, willpowerful, hmm. had all the other stuff in place and were just otherwise, they just had their life together. Interesting. They couldn't figure this out. They couldn't get this solved. And I was like, what? Back then, before I was aware, my thinking was, what is wrong with you people? Hmm. <laughs> you know, I know you want this 50 pounds gone. I know you want to live the better life, the healthier life. I know you want to. Why do you keep screwing up? Yeah. And Kay really helped me understand that. Reading her book, learning about food addiction, but talking to her back then, very early on, 
-hmm. from that moment on, I kid you not, from that moment on, my whole coaching view and my compassion for what was going on toward people changed 180 degrees. Wow. I no longer was going, what's wrong with you? I didn't say that to them, but in my head, I'm like, what's wrong with you? Mm. I no longer was saying, what's wrong with you? I was like, I know. Now I know more. Mm. Now that I know more, we have to address this thing. Mm. If we don't address this in an addictive treatment kind of way, I'm not like treating a disease, but if we don't, if we don't address this for what it is, mm. and we just keep saying, eat less, exercise more, all things in moderation, that person is going to fail. Right. So that's, that, that's a fourth pillar. It, it can be a showstopper, but it can also be a game changer in a positive way. It can literally set people free and finally have things make sense to them. And also what it does is, Maxim, it has people realize they aren't weak, dumb, lazy, stupid, yeah. pathetic. They mm. feel so often, Maxim, they have failed so many times at this. They're, they're thinking, they're thinking, what's wrong with me? I see. You know, I'm a success. I'm a, I had... When the very first physician I had come to me in the in 1999 2000, I was I'm thinking to myself, why are you coming to me? Yeah, you've been to school that I haven't been to. You know more about the body and physiology, way more than I do. Yeah. What what do you? Why are you coming to me? I mean, you're incre obviously incredibly smart. You've got, and I realized that you know people are people, and when we're talking about this, everybody eats. Everybody has certain things that they are unaware of that they, they don't, aren't aware they need to address. And so whether it's a physician or an airline pilot or pick anybody else that an aeronautical engineer, anybody you would be like, man, those are really smart people. If intelligence was the answer, we'd have a lot less obese people. If, if intelligence was it, mm -hmm. um, it can be helpful, no doubt about it. But, it, it's, but it's not the answer. So yeah, we, we have to, once, anyway, it really went from, What's wrong with you to, okay, we have to, we have to come at it with this, you know? So that became, you know, a fourth pillar. Right. And then we've got a fifth and a sixth. But hey, look, um, I think we're out of time. So it's, 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 it's shame as far as I'm concerned, but hey, we, we, we've gone through. Hey, just so you know, I can go another 15. If, okay. If, if you, okay. If you okay. want, okay, I just got I just got to note that my, 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 my 9am um, got pushed just okay. a little bit. Perfect. Then let's maybe okay. run through the last right. two pillars let's say because we've we've mentioned okay. well we've explored what how you got to do what you're doing now and then we have come to understand that there as far as you're concerned there's six pillars to to achieving right. health and whatever is associated with that and we have kind of yep. skipped nutrition exercise because there's so much information on that already right. and have come to uh, understanding your why which is an extremely powerful thing and i personally yep. have never really uh in, in my head, never really like uh, disconnected the addiction part with the why, because I think to some degree it goes together, but there are certainly, like in a sense that if you know your why, you may be less likely to fall prey to this be addictive behavior. I think that's the case for many people, because there are these rat experiments, right? Where you put the rat in a natural environment and then you offer cocaine to the rat and the rat doesn't get addicted. But if you isolate the rat and starve it to like 60% of their body weight and do other terrible things to the rat, and then you offer it cocaine, then it eats as much cocaine as possible until it dies. So I think there's a component to that. Um, but yeah. whatever. There are, it's maybe certainly, as you, as you mentioned, it has changed the way you look at things and it's 
I, I, I have to think about it more, but it seems to be valuable to make an extra distinction between uh, Y power, willpower, slash willpower, and the, the addictive uh, properties of uh, processed food that are independent of right. the third pillar. But let's now uh, come back to the last two things, and then we'll wrap this it, up. So here's the thing about that. Kind of, let me kind of briefly just say why power compared to compulsive eating addiction. So how, how, what's the relationship there? Here's the thing. The thing that's cool about a, having an incredible why mm. is if your why is super strong, you will keep persisting to figure it out. Yeah. So let's just say you have no knowledge of the compulsive eating and um, addiction, but let's say that you've, you have an issue. You really have an issue with that, but you are unaware. If your why is strong enough, Maxim, then it will keep driving you to keep seeking the answer, to keep mm. trying things, to keep trying to figure things out. You may do a lot of wrong things. Oh, true. But, you know, but, hey, when Thomas Edison or whoever, when Thomas Edison invited, invented the light bulb, you know, he did a lot of things wrong. You know, there's quotes about it. I haven't, you know, I, I, I haven't made a, you know, a thousand mistakes. I've just found a thousand things that don't work. Yeah. And so his why, though, for, for creating that was incredibly strong. And he persisted until he figured it out. But he did a lot of wrong things. And people will do, if their why is strong, they will persist. They won't give up. They will they say, look, I have to figure this out. And so they do a bunch of wrong things. If we can get, if they have a compulsive eating issue, if they do, um, and they find that answer, their why is what keeps driving them to seek that out. And then also then now do the work that's necessary to get into recovery, so to speak, with regard to their uh, processed addiction. So that's kind of the relationship there. Move on over now. Mm -hmm. And these things are, these things are related. True. Um, and you're going to see how why power is related to this fifth one. This fifth one is emotional fitness. Okay. That's a huge category. Emotional fitness, you know, um, what, you know, what is emotional fitness? Well, my definition of emotional fitness is a state where you are feeling authentically good more often. Hmm. You have increased self-regulation hmm. and you're able, um, to manage life better. Hmm. So feeling authentically good more often, increased self-regulation and better for life management. Mm. Um, and so, and so we aren't born necessarily with, you know, the perfect emotional fitness state. I'm a, you know, Gen X, I'm an old Gen X. I'm, I'm closer to 60 than I am 50. <laughs> and so from my generation and before me, there was very little attention spent at home, maximum on emotion. Yeah. You know, it was to go outside and play and come back before the sun goes down. See you later. You know, mom, yeah. I don't feel, I don't care what you feel like. Get out, go, go run, right. go play in the sand, go, you know, play in the dirt, go do what you're going to do. Run the streets. I don't care. But then come back when the, come back before right. sundown, you know, well, I'm feeling this. Well, feel different there. You know, mm. now I will say that in a best case scenario, my parents were awesome in a best case scenario. And I realize not everybody has good parents. Some parents are just awful. And I want to acknowledge that in a best case scenario for most homes in my generation and older, it, it about the only emotional fitness education we got is maybe the golden rule, yeah. you know, treat others, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Mm -hmm. Just be a good person. Just treat other people well. All right. Yeah. Be considerate. And that's kind of where it ended. I mean, it was, mm -hmm. you know, have a good life. We've done the best we could. We raised you. We did a good job. Thanks so much. You know, um, 
Now, I would say for a millennial, Gen Z, and so on, I think that the parents are more evolved. They're more considerate of emotion, um, generally speaking. Obviously, they're still god-awful parents, and there are parents that are all the way on the other end where they're so emotionally focused that it's, it's almost ridiculous. Which is also But an important thing to mention because you have to walk this balance between uh, these two extremes because if you're too emotion-centered, that means you're too... Uh, feeling centered and if you're feeling centered yeah. you like by definition you're self-conscious because that's what it means you're centered exclusively on your feelings and you're you're like yeah. you're blind to everything else and that's why you're miserable because that's the only thing you think about but it's it's important it, to it, consider them in a, in a moderate amount and then that that's why i also think it's important to understand what emotion actually means because it has the word motion in it so it actually compels yeah. you to take action to solve whatever thing is Well, it's a, if it's a negative emotion, that it compels you to solve the problem. If it's a positive emotion, then it, that it drives you forward to keep doing what you're doing, basically. So, so, and that's why it's important to, to, to recognize them and to listen to them. But if you overdo it, then you end up being self-conscious and miserable. So, there's a, so the nice thing about emotional fitness is it's not like eye color. Whatever we've got, wherever we are, whether we're underdeveloped, whatever we are, we're not stuck with it. It can yeah. be grown. And, so we, and I always say transformation is an inside out job. Hmm. So we grow the inside in, so we can shrink the outside. And it's typically what people are wanting. They're wanting to lose excess fat. So that's why we say shrink the outside. So grow the inside, shrink the outside. So, you know, emotional fitness um, can help us to better manage life. And really, you know, uh, there's a, you know, a Viktor Frankl quote that is one oh, yeah. of my favorite of, of all time. You know, and obviously, no, he uh, was a concentration camp survivor. Um, And he was a psychologist, neurologist. I can't remember yeah. what, what he was, but, but, he, no, but anyway, like he was that. a doctor. Psychiatrist or so, yeah. And, yeah, and he studied people in these concentration camps, and he realized that some people were incredibly low, depressed, despondent, yeah. hopeless. Some people were in the middle, and some people were quite hopeful and positive and cheery or whatever. Even though they were all starved, abused, and it was awful for them, um, not everybody responded the same. And his quote that I love, which has to do with emotional fitness, Um, and it can be developed into this is between the stimulus and the response is a space. Mm, right. And it's in that space where we have the ability to choose our response. Mm -hmm. And it's our response. It's wherein our growth and uh, life satisfaction, you know, lives. And so being emotionally fit helps us to respond better to whatever the stimulus is. And we need that. We need stronger emotional fitness to better manage life, and all the stressors and the anxieties and the various things that come our way, because otherwise... We just continue to do what I call these conditioned automated responses. Mm -hmm. We get a stressor, eat. We get a stressor, drink. Yeah. We get a stressor, you know what I mean? Um, do, the, do those things that we become conditioned to do. But part of it is because it's habit and conditioning. It's part of it's because we're not emotionally fit enough to be able to pause, bring the temperature down a bit, quit going catastrophic, and realize we're going to be okay. We can handle this. And there's a better way to manage what just happened rather than compulsively overeat, drink, whatever it may be, somehow check out. So uh, uh, some things related to emotional fitness, which we won't be able to cover, but I'll at least mention them just so people are like, what is he talking about? What do you mean emotionally fit? Um, it's things like, for me, um, the, the primary thing, the number one thing I ask of my students is, let's consider the power of focus. Focus on what you want, not on what you fear or don't want. A lot of people, if you ask them, hey, what do you want? They'll tell you what they don't want. I'll tell you what I want. 
maximum. I'll tell you what I want. Mm -hmm. I want to, I don't want to feel bad anymore. Yeah. Okay. That's what you don't want. What do you want? We need to flip it into what you want and keep focusing on what you want rather than what you fear or don't want. Whatever we focus on grows. And so we got to be careful with that. And so focus is a huge thing. And our brain is going to keep trying to put to us impediments and roadblocks and why it won't work. And what about this? And what about that? And on what you want and your why is in place right the how will come the how will come it may not come in the time frame that you want it to come but the how will come so i don't know how i'm going to do this i want to own a business someday great how, how am i going to do it i don't know well you don't have to know right now mm. keep focusing on what you want and you are far more likely to move in that positive direction and again 100%. it's what you want not on what you fear or don't want so that's just one thing another one which is huge is gratitude you know, I'm a huge fan of proactive gratitude. There's reactive mm. gratitude where you do something nice for me. I say, hey, thank you so much. All right. I'm reacting to the thing you did for me. We at least ought to have reactive gratitude, right? Mm. Um, but and some people don't even have that. But you should at least have reactive gratitude. Be appreciative of what someone's done. Proactive gratitude is when no one really did anything for you. You just appreciate who they are. Or you appreciate something about the world. Or you appreciate something about yourself. Right. I'm, I'm so grateful I have two working legs. So grateful. Yeah. I am. I'm so grateful the home I'm in is cool when it's hot and it's warm when it's cold. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. Right? I'm so great. Not everybody has that. I'm so grateful I have clean drinking water. There are millions of people, if not billions, who don't have clean yes. drinking water. Yes. I mean, you go, well, these are simple things. You know, I just, it is what it is. Well, stop it. You know, we need to be grateful for these things. I'm grateful for the so many little things my wife is and does. I'm so grateful. Well, that you can take it for granted, but if you do, you're not going to be as happy, as satisfied, fulfilled. And here's the thing about gratitude. Whatever we're proactively grateful for grows stronger. Yeah. Whatever we're not grows weaker or dies. You want your marriage to fail? Take it for granted. Take yeah. it for granted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just take the take the other person for granted and say Eh, you know, yeah, I know you always do these nice things for me. Eh, whatever. Never say thank you. Don't don't appreciate it. Not that's the yeah. opposite and of gratitude. See what happens. So, hey. so gratitude's a part of emotional fitness. You want to feel better each day. You want to be a better life manager. Appreciate more of the littlest thing you can find. The littlest thing. Don't just look for the big things. I appreciate somebody just bought me a brand new car. Yeah, well, uh -huh. great. Yeah, that's you know. But I appreciate that you know I'm able to open my eyes and see. I mean, whatever. I appreciate this oh, goofy thing that drives everybody nuts, you know. Um, but I appreciate so many aspects of it. Anyway, gratitude is huge. Aspects of control. Um, people want to control more than they're able to. Hmm. So, you know, when you think about it, you have to have you have to have an acceptance of what you can change, what you cannot change. Hmm. You have to have an acceptance of what you cannot change, but you also have the courage to change what you can. Hmm. And then. Yeah. You want to be seeking the wisdom to know the difference between the two. Oh, yeah. There, oh, yeah. There's a quote it's, like that. It's just, mm. it's just a paraphrasing of what's called the serenity prayer. But I, but I, And I'm not religious. I'm a humble agnostic. But the bottom line is that I so, I so see that every day when I'm working with my clients that they want to control more than they can. And so that aspect of accept what you cannot change, have, but, but have the courage to change what you can that's the taking action. What can I take action on? Have the courage to take action on the mm -hmm. things that you can, the things you directly control that don't rely on someone else, doesn't rely on whether someone else does this or that. 
uh, whatever the situation is. That's a huge part of emotional fitness, yeah. acceptance of what you cannot change. And I'm just going to hit these others real quick, but those are the big three, but there's, there's you know, a dozen others or, or more, but connection. Hmm. Yeah, we can all be lone wolves to a certain extent, but we all need a certain amount of connection to be fulfilled and feel satisfied. As human beings, we are kind of group oriented. You oh, know, we're 100%. tribe oriented. Hundred percent. So we need even even the most like introverted people who believe that they can s survive on their own. It's like yes, you can, but like no, not really, because you you live in a society, you're dependent on other people. You can't. It's like you can't. Maybe there are some individuals on the extremes, but usually right. we need the the social interaction. We need the constant feedback that we give in each other and um, the, the the group mentality. So it's, it's it's an important one. It's a really important one. There was a program. There was a program on TV. It was a series, and it was called Alone. What they did here is in the United States here is a television program, and it went you know seven eight episodes. They dropped off 10 people at 10 different locations on this deserted island, and it was not friendly. It was There were bears and, and mountain lions, and uh, it was cold, and it rained a lot. And anyway, these were survivor people, all right? These were people that, you know, kind of history of at least proclaiming they were survivalists, meaning they could just, you know, and they were only given 10 tools. They were not given anything special. They had to live in a tent. They had to make their own fire. Yeah. They had to find their own food. They were not given any food. They had to find their own drinking water, get it safe enough to drink. They had to do all these things. And you go, man, all that's hard. And it was crazy hard. But you know what the hardest thing was for these people? I kid you not. Every single episode, the thing yeah. that was the hardest for them was being alone. Yes. They, they had never been so – there was no phones. There's, yes. no, there's, no, there's not another person they can talk to. They were alone. It's terrible. And them being alone messed with their heads so much. I was – I'm not saying I was like crazy surprised, but I was like, wow, it's even surprising to me that just how important, you know, that is True. To, for some people there who proclaim that they can generally take or leave people. You know? mm -hmm. But when it came down to it, there were there are at least certain people in their lives that they just missed so much. Oh, yeah. And then not having any human interaction was was detrimental to their mental health. So you got connection, compassion, self-compassion, mm -hmm. self-talk is a part of the emotional fitness. How do you speak to yourself? How do you think about yourself? How compassionate mm. are you to yourself and others? That's a part of emotional fitness. Mm. Um, nutrition is a part of emotional fitness because nutrition can uh, can change mental state. Nutrition can oh, change sure. neuroplasticity and wiring. Wiring it can cause uh, anxiety, depression, all oh, these yeah. things. So that's a part of it. All right, and exercise so does exercise. Too, yeah, yeah. Exercise. Yeah, that's next on the emotional fitness. Exercise is huge because of the mental health, the, um, mental health state, the mental health status. Uh, the anxiety reducing effects, the um, the uh, depression uh, uh, alleviating uh, effects of exercise. Man, that's right. like five more podcasts. Like I've done, I've done several podcasts with a bunch of athletes, and like literally, almost the only thing we're discussing is what you can learn and extract, the lessons you can extract from exercise, because it's so huge yeah. and powerful. It's it's just so unbelievable. Huge. It's so mind boggling that I I, I, I can't even fathom how 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 much wisdom there is to be found in in exercise. Especially so, if you do it for, for a long time. That's just, yeah. Oh, it's such a powerful drug. You know, it really is oh, in, in, in all the good ways. Um, sleep mm -hmm. is a part of emotional fitness. You know, you want to live on five hours of sleep a night? Good luck. Oh, yeah. It's not going to work. You know, um, seven, seven or more. You know, we've got to get seven or more consistently. I'm not saying you never get six, five, four, whatever it may be. But seven or more is where you want to be. Mindfulness. Meditation can be a part of emotional fitness. Um, faith. And I don't mean like you have to be religious. I don't mean you have to be spiritual in that way, 
But having a belief, if nothing else, if you have a higher power or a God, then leaning on that, I see as a good thing for the people who are believers, because one, it's in alignment with their core spiritual values. And the other thing that's really cool, because I'm not that, and I'm a humble not that. <laughs> um, for all my clients that are, I'm like, go, go to it. And what I mean yes. is embrace it, because what I find is it's it's a, it helps them remain in alignment with who they are spiritually. Oh, yeah. And the really cool thing, if you've got a higher power or God, is you're never alone. You're yeah. never alone. And so I'd like, I admire that, even though I, I don't totally subscribe to and I'm agnostic, I admire that aspect that you're never alone. You always have that other, that higher power entity. All right. But faith, if you don't have that, then my, my statement is this, it's all happening perfectly, even though I don't understand why or why right now. Mm-hmm. And I, that's, that's what I have to have for me. And I add that last part, even though I don't understand why or why right now. Mm. And that is a humility statement that says I'm a human being and that's all I am. Mm. I am not omnipotent. I don't know all that was, is, mm. and will be. I never will. I shouldn't expect myself to know. But I have to have a faith that whatever's going on, as crazy as it is, it's all happening perfectly. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that I'm happy about it. Yeah, but it, I get peace from that, and so from that peace, and in an acknowledgement with humility that I'm just a human being, my brain, my my all that I am can't possibly know everything. I'm not omnipotent, so that's why I say, even though I don't know why or why right now, mm-hmm. but having that mm-hmm. giving me that sense of peace helps me manage life better instead of hanging on to something for ten years, mm-hmm. seething inside letting it eat me alive because it's just wrong, Maxim. It's just wrong. Mm. I don't, that doesn't mean I'm happy about it. I lost my mother tragically when she was 53 in an automobile accident. Mm. A drug driver hit her and she died. Mm. It's awful. awful. I mourned. I grieved like I never thought I could grieve. I had no concept of grieving until that happened. Mm. And that was in 1998. But I still say with that tragic loss and other people have had tons of tragic losses and are experiencing them right now. Mm-hmm. It's all happening perfectly, even though I don't understand why right now. Right. And I don't understand why, but I'm able to better manage life and be better as a person to continue on in the life that I'm living because I have faith that I'm not supposed to know, but I believe it's all happening perfectly. And, you know, moving on emotional fitness. What about fun? Should we have fun once in a while? That's a part of emotional fitness, mm-hmm. relaxation, rejuvenation, Laughter, morning sun, Mm. um, possibly learning something new, um, forgiveness. These are just some of the elements. So so what do you do? You know, I think you had said on the last one, I think it just popped into my head. You had said, hey, regarding emotional fitness, what do you do? Just tell somebody, stop feeling that way and and just, you know, whatever. And you didn't mean it literally. You were like, what are we supposed to do with people? And what happens That's always a question, yeah. It's a great question. And and so what, what happens with emotional fitness is... We want to, what we do with our program is we teach over, progressively over time these elements of emotional fitness. A lot of these things, remember, people grew up in homes where the best they got was do, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, you know, yeah. the golden rule. Yeah. And that was it. They're like, I don't know why I'm this way. I didn't realize I had control over my response. I didn't realize that it, if a situation occurred, I could bring it down. You know, I didn't, you know, when it comes to self-compassion, self-talks in there. And we talk a lot about catastrophic talk because a lot of times that's where things go and they go there too fast. 
you know, you got a flat tire. Well, the day is ruined, screwed, you know, that's it. You know, it was a flat tire. It's not fun. It's uncomfortable. It's an inconvenience. Mm. But the day doesn't have to be ruined. Mm -hmm. and You don't have to then make it worse. So one of the things we say in those situations is do no further harm. Yeah. Oh, man. Absolutely. Because that's even what people right? tend to do because they become bitter and resentful. They're like, yeah. oh, my God. This person has done that to me, like the tire is one example. Then also, if people right. do something bad to them, they want revenge, right. they want war, yeah. they want to make it worse. But it's right. like, why? Like, your criticism is that this person has done something bad to you. So it's like the very best thing you should do right now is try to alleviate that situation. Yeah. Make it better, not even worse, because then you kind right. of fall into the same trap. Yeah. Yes. And so it's really important. So with better emotional fitness... We can take those situations because a lot of times it isn't the first arrow that is the worst. It's the second arrow. Mm. So meaning, you know, you got the first arrow, whatever it is, somebody, you feel someone did something to you or you had an argument with your significant other or whatever the case may be. But then you made it worse mm. by then going next level, ramping up, um, continuing to harbor you know, uh, vindictiveness and revenge and hate or, or whatever it may be. And then you made it worse, uh, from there. So with, with better emotional fitness, we can better manage life and we can take these situations and we can, um, make it so that, uh, it, it, it ends quicker. It's, it's, um, the temperature is brought down, you know, so that we don't feel, cause here's the thing when we go catastrophic or when we get so elevated emotionally, hmm. um, That's when we feel like I need an escape from this. This is yeah. more than I can bear. I can't handle this. Um, uh, my world's going to collapse. It's all going to be over. I can't, I don't know what to do. And that's because a lot of times it's just gotten too high. It's gotten, the temperature has gotten too high on the emotional state. When we're more emotionally fit, we can bring that temperature down. And I'm not saying, I am not saying stop feeling, stop being angry ever. Don't, you know, no, you're going to have all the emotions. But it doesn't mean they need to go to the stratosphere, you know, in mm -hmm. extreme. And, and when we can bring that down and we can make the better decision, we can have a more measured response, then we don't, we don't feel as much the need to escape with a drug. Mm -hmm. Right? I, mm -hmm. Oh, man. This happened, that happened. It's, it's the end of the world. I need a drink. Yeah, yeah. You know, alcohol. Right. I need a drink. Or they can, you can take it to I need the cake, the cookies, the whatever the thing is. I, I need, I can't, I got to get this check out for a bit. The reason you have to check out for a bit is partly because of habit, but partly because of addiction, but partly because the, your emotional fitness overall isn't as developed to be able to manage better whatever life throws at you. So right. what I say with emotional fitness is we want to develop that over time, have people become aware of these things, which most they're not aware of these things. Yeah. And if they are, they don't, they haven't really been thought through, mm -hmm. but then they start to realize, wow, I control a lot more of this than I thought I could. Mm -hmm. I can mm -hmm. actually impact this so much more than I thought I could by having these tools in place where I can, I, I say, we, we want our students to be lifestyle ninjas. Yeah. So it's like a lifestyle ninja. It's like someone, no matter what, no matter what's thrown at them life-wise, they've got a tool or a strategy for it. But then they've you got, also have to develop the skills, right? So only the emotional aspect isn't enough. So if you have a situation, if you have a problem manifesting itself, presenting itself, and you just be like... You first vis you have this first visceral reaction, which is like, oh no, something terrible happened. Then right. you have the secondary re reaction where you rethink, is it actually a tragedy, a tragedy, or right. something like an inconvenience more? And then you real and and distinguish um, and then what would you say? Uh, separating 
uh, tragedy from inconvenience can only work if you have the necessary tools to solve the yeah. problem. So, um, right. or, uh, because you can't expect from someone who doesn't have the tools to say, oh no, it's not a tragedy, it's just an inconvenience, because yeah. for that person, it might just as well be a tragedy, right? Yeah. And to, to be able to do that, you also have, um, a, um, apart from working on um, developing this mindset, you have also to work on the practicality of these things. So really develop the tools. And sometimes they're not just emotional, they're like practical. So you have developed skills, yeah. life skills, knowing how to yeah. talk to people, you know, knowing how yeah. to, I don't know, write things or uh, in, in the job, whatever the job expects from you. If you're right. learning to fix things, like if, if your lamp is broken, if, if something is broken, yeah. fix things. Yeah. These are like merely practical things, but they'll make your life a hell of a lot better. One of the one of the things that comes into this is this aspect of I say important is not most important. Yeah. So you know something. What I mean by that is you know a lot of the things in our lives we think are we we kind of elevate them to the same level of importance, but not everything's the same level of importance. There's important things like you got to go to work, got to pay bills, got to do this, got to do that. But then there's most important, which you know involves things like you know personal growth and relationships. Yeah. And um in those elements, and so. Uh, being able to distinguish important from most important is really important. There's a there's a mm -hmm. quote I can't remember who who said it, but um, it, it goes it goes something like this: It's virtually impossible to overestimate the lack of importance of just about everything. Mm. I see. Very very few things, Maxim, are really life and death. Yeah, yeah that's but we true. treat. So many things like life and death, but it's virtually impossible to overestimate the lack of importance mm. of just about everything. So mm. part of it is realize that it's, it could be a most important, it could be something that's, you know, a thing, but even if it is, even if it is, where, where's your faith? Hmm. It's all happening perfectly, even though I don't understand why or why right now, or lean on your higher power or whatever. Where's your focus? Hmm. Do you still have gratitude? And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the, on the other side we we need to you know be able to have the people skills and the life skills and the various skills to to try to help solve these things um, as as they're going on. But we can't always solve the things, and sometimes they're just going to be what they're going to be. But regardless of whatever the situation is, um, you know, Viktor Frankl when he's in a concentration camp, he had no way to solve it. Yeah, but he still had a state of mind. Yeah. You know, so it's, it is that here. So having, having those things, having that state of mind, having that kind of just general disposition and, and state of being, um, where look, I get upset. I do. I get upset. I'll get angry well, about sure. something. I'll see where I'm, I'm starting to, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm losing my temper on something. Cause something felt very aggravating. I feel all the emotions everybody else does. And mm -hmm. I'm still a work in progress. And I always will be till my, till my grade. Mm -hmm. But I've gotten so much better over these 20 years. And yeah. that's the message I want to get across on emotional fitness is I've grown so much stronger at being able to better manage life, better manage emotions, bring things down, have my self-talk be better, have my focus and gratitude and connection and control be in a better place so that I'm just more generally grateful um, and in a better disposition so that all of my relationship interactions are better. Mm -hmm. All of my business interactions are better overall. And I'm less likely to make the first arrow turn into a second or third or a fourth, make right. that first wound, you know, make it worse than what it was, you know. Um, and then the last thing, and then like you said, I got to run. The last thing, the last pillar I'll at least mention is yeah, mention. each person is an individual and needs a certain level of 
I should say, that are likely to do better if they have a certain level of personal, professional, spiritual support. Yeah. Like, as you're going through transformation, you are, no one, first of all, no matter what anyone thinks who's ever done transformation, who's ever gotten to their, let's say, their goal weight and they're staying there, mm. no matter how much of a lone wolf you thought you were, you didn't do it alone. Mm. You had support somehow. You had help somehow. Somewhere, mm. somehow, somebody, some things, technology, person, groups, whatever it was, something was there uh, in some degree, even if it was small, that helped you. So I, uh, I think from a humility perspective, uh, put the ego away and, and instead of saying, I did this, my, I did it. I did it all. No one did anything. Yeah. Yes, they did. Here and there, there was some help. So now, personal, professional, spiritual. Having some accountability, having a friend, having a group that may be helpful, may not. Depends on the person. Professional help. Maybe you need to hire a health coach like me. Maybe you need to hire a dietitian. Maybe you need to hire um, a trainer. Maybe you need to hire a psychologist. Maybe you need to go to a psychiatrist. Hmm. Maybe it, I don't know what professional help you may or may not need. You may yeah. not need any, but you're likely to do better if you get some expertise Absolutely. in the area where you aren't the expert. Okay. We yeah. all, we all do. I hire, my dad was an electrician. You know, I'm going to hire an electrician to do wiring in my house. Yeah, sure. I, I'm not an expert. I don't, yeah. why would I feel bad about it? You know, I feel bad. I got to hire an electrician. No, I don't. Or a plumber or, you know, I, or a physician. I got to go to a physician. I don't know why my throat hurts. Yeah. <laughs> he'll, 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 he or she will figure it out, you know? Yeah. And, um, it's a saying, it's a saying here. So getting some expertise in this area where we don't want to minimize it to the point where we go, well, this should be easy. Well, it's not. If it was, we'd have a lot less obese people. Hmm. It takes all of these things. And so how can it be, how can we make it so that it's actually doable, consumable um, in a way that we can, we can apply it to our real lives in real time? A professional can help you uh, do that because they've already done the heavy lifting, the heavy leg work, yeah, exactly. to kind of sift and sort. Somebody said the other day, hey, Dave, what if somebody Googled, you know, how do I get loose weight? I mean, that just almost turns my stomach. <laughs> I mean, oh, my God. You know, the answers you're going to get are so all over the map. It's yeah. just not even, and the thing is, who do you trust? Is, is this a good source? Is this people, person leading me down the wrong path? What's their bias? What's mm. their, you know, and then when it comes to the spiritual side, it's like, I don't know, you know, if you are spiritual, it's going to help if you are in alignment with your core spiritual values. So those are the six right. pillars, nutrition, exercise, why compulsive eating or addiction, um, emotional fitness. And then the three P's, personal, professional, well, the, the PPS, personal, professional, spiritual support. And they're um, nicely interrelated, right? Because we, we have, we have, we have a, a components of each of them that can be found in all of the others, which is, which yes. is good because it creates a, a consistent, coherent picture. And yes. so, okay, so look, I think, I think that's a good place to, to make a cut. Yeah. Because um, it has been great, a lot of good information and... I really hope, and I'm quite sure that this this time the recording has worked, and that we I can post it soon. <laughs> I have like three or more sure. podcasts in line, so you know, like yours will be out in maybe a couple of weeks or so. And sure. um, lastly, tell everyone where they can find what you do and anything like the name of your book and your website and sure. where you are in social media so that if someone is interested, they can find out more about you. You bet. So the name of the company is Leanness Lifestyle University. Um, and so I, I know that's a mouthful, two N's, two S's. You got a lot going on there. So 
we made the website easy and that'd just be the best place to go. Any links to my social are there and we're on everything from TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, we're everywhere, YouTube. Um, so all the links are there, but here's the website, lluniversity.com. Mm -hmm. okay. Oh, and, and the name of the book is The Leanness Lifestyle. Okay. Um, so very, you know, very, very much the same, but lluniversity.com will get anybody to me and yeah. to the site and to all the other links. Well, let's call it a day. Well, not, yes. not yet for you because you have like stuff coming up, but. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, it was, it was I've got my day in front of me. It's only 9.35 a.m. Exactly. here. Yes. But hey, <laughs> it was good having you on again. And I think, um, well, you're a wealth of knowledge. You have a lot of experience. Um, you have very interesting um, you had, you had, you had, and you have, and you will still have a very interesting life, but there's a lot of interesting things you told me, um, as far as like your life experience are concerned, what you learned from that. So I really appreciate you coming on and telling me all about it. You bet. Thanks so much for having me. It's really been a, really been a fun interview. It really has. All right. Hey, take care. Thank you.